politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight and guard our life, our liberties, and our property here in the U.S. of A. It is Friday, April 8th, and today we are going to talk about the first of those, life. What it means to be pro-life. We now live in a country where we have to fear our own hospitals. No, there was no off-ramp from COVID fascism, biomedical tyranny. They are continuing it, right? We saw that last night. The Fifth Circuit reversed uh, the injunction on the the clot shot mandate on federal workers. That's still there. The military mandate is still there. But it's much broader than COVID. We now have a medical system that is rooted in cruelty, greed, politics, and stuff that's antithetical to science. And because of our stupid communist socialist healthcare system that has existed for decades, by the way, it's not like, oh, America's free relative to Europe. No, because the government got involved with all these programs, it took out the doctor-patient relationship, and it created a cartel at the pharma level, at the hospital level, that now for every ailment under the sun, we now have maltreatment, We have the wrong drugs being used. We have research corrupted. And we have nowhere to go. You know, we we created a treatment regimen for COVID to avoid the hospital. But there's many, many other ailments. I have an aunt now in the hospital with colon cancer. And the stuff that they they were going to kill her this week. The stuff that goes on is crazy. The amount of research that there is on cancer treatment with off-label drugs is unbelievable, and I'm learning more every day. And this seems to be true of all autoimmune and everything. It's funny, anti-inflammatories, whole health, off-label drugs, boosting the immune system. It all seems to tie together, and we've been lied to for a long time. We have a culture of cruelty, of malok going on. So later today, we are going to have on Nicole Sorotek, again from American Frontline Nurses, to talk about some of the egregious death traps, death stories that are taking place in the hospitals, the discrimination, the maltreatment, the anti-science, anti-compassion. But we have Republicans that sound like it's the 1980s, and they continue to only exclusively talk about the abortion issue. I'm here to tell you Planned Parenthood is not the biggest problem. Our healthcare system is. You see, I could avoid Planned Parenthood. They're not forcing us to get abortions. I I oppose them. You know, I agree in in banning them. It's murder. But at the end of the day, this they're doing to us. They're forcing it on us. And it's not just COVID and the mandates and the clot shots. This revealed to those of us who, who didn't realize how bad it is, that this was going on for quite some time, and this has really exacerbated it, and it's created this new culture in the hospitals. But also in drug development, in research, outpatient, everything we are being lied to. So we're going to talk about that in the prism of COVID and some of the news and new studies that have come out, but also... We're going to go vividly into what is happening in America's hospitals. Our first sponsor today is Patriot Academy. Those of you who need to blow off some steam, 
and actually learn how to properly use your handgun and to understand the Constitution, join me and Rick Green of Patriot Academy at the NRA Whittington Center in Colfax County, New Mexico on May 22nd for a five-day constitutional defensive handgun training course where you will learn how to shoot from a holster at a clear malfunctions, proper grip, proper sight al- alignment. Um, most conservatives who own guns, I'm just going to, I don't mean to be mean here, they don't know how to properly draw. They don't know how to win a gunfight. It is vital, especially given what is going on with crime in the streets. So again, it's um, really 70, 80% off the price of a typical course like this. It's about $100 a day. Um, so it's from May 22nd to 26th. Make your flight reservations. Go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel to find out all the information, how to register. Let me know if you have questions. So again, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So there's this op-ed out in the Daily Caller by Mike Pence and this leader of one of these stupid pro-life organizations. And it's all about a winning agenda on pro-life. And you look at it, it's the same thing. Defund Planned Parenthood. Same stuff. It's like... And and that really set me off. This whole point that I'm giving over to you, that the pro-life issue of today is the Maloke medical system. It's the clot shots. It's biomedical fascism. It's the monopoly they've created to box out patient-doctor relationship. That is a much bigger pro-life issue because that you cannot avoid. It ain't my people getting abortions. I'll tell you that much. Doesn't mean I'm not opposed to it. Of course I am. But if you're going to focus 100% of that and nothing on this, but in the case of Mike Pence, he was the man who catalyzed that committee that started COVID fascism in America, that it was responsible for so much death, for the shutdown of American schools, the masking of Americans. We're going to talk about some of the, some of the damage is unbelievable. And we predicted all of it, the developmental language, emotional health of children and this this punk has the nerve to say he's pro-life are you kidding me this guy induced a holocaust on our nation he foisted Fauci and Burks upon us and he has the nerve to talk about Planned Parenthood are you kidding me shut up he's emblematic of what is wrong with the legacy pro-life organizations and the establishment conservative movement. Dangle in front of us. All our, our country's future is on the line in this election. Let's run on defunding Planned Parenthood. What if I told you we're going to set up Planned Parenthood in every state to forcibly abort everyone and control every facet of medical care? So anyone who has cancer, heart disease, diabetes, Anything else is controlled by the same death cult. That's a much bigger issue. We are facing a scenario where we don't know what to do when you have to go to the hospital. It's not just COVID. I have an aunt who was almost killed. They came in with what is kind of, in my mind, akin to a stage four diagnosis. But they treated it like stage five. And they basically started talking about palliative care. And DNRs, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I called, you know, some of our Patriot doctors 
and they opened my eyes up to all the a lot of the same drugs we use. I didn't even know this. Like phenofibrate and metformin for COVID. You know, metformin is a diabetes drug. There's so many other things. And then um, naltrexone, which is Narcan. The research on that for ovarian pancreatic cancer and, and colon cancer is unbelievable. It's not even on their minds. It's like that orthopedist I told you who, when my wife asked him about taking K2 when she had a little fracture in her foot, I thought he would just scoff at it. Instead, he said, what's K2? And this is what pharma has done. They only know what is put out in the high-impact journals controlled by Bill Gates, large randomized controlled trials that only they could fund. So they use that as a gatekeeper to, fraud, to, to fabricate data on things that don't work and make them that they do work, put out hits on other things, and anything that's not in there and promoted by the media, they don't know because they don't learn biochemistry. So this is something I will talk about, you know, just um, next week. I want to get into that more. My idea of funding at a state level, a complete audit of every drug that has ever been produced and has a modicum of budding research for any of the vexing ailments like cancer that we, um, you know, are confronted with and fund randomized controlled trials on them. That's being pro-life. Not this whole thing, oh, let's throw a trillion dollars at Big Pharma to come up with a cure, which is a loaded term, new drugs, they'll give you the runaround, expensive things, they're, they're built on the same mechanisms of action that we already have, and they don't do anything, and they cause tremendous harm. But what has existed to pr- proven safe and very broad mechanisms? COVID was just the tip of the iceberg. And incidentally, a lot of those same drugs seem to have pretty nice research for cancer, and there's some different ones as well. But these hospitals, they're killing people. These doctors, they're killing people. So I want to talk about that more. I first just want to give you a rundown of different stories that we see that demonstrate the anti-life nature of Mike Pence's committee that put lockdowns, masks, and clot shots upon us. The cost-benefit analysis is unbelievable, and it's nothing we didn't predict. It's just now we have data to prove it. Our final sponsor today, if you're like me, that you're just so ticked off, sometimes you just need to sit back, listen to music, or listen to this show, turn off the screen. But it's hard to get quality earbuds, wireless earbuds that actually fit and that actually have that sound quality, but for an affordable price. In fact, there's only one company that gives you brand name quality for half the price of other premium brands, and that is Raycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N. They're everyday earbuds. They look, feel, sound better. They fit in your ear perfectly. They're the only things that fit in my ear. They're optimized gel tips for perfect in-ear fit. Um, they're very, very comfortable because normally, like, I, I have like sensory issues. I hate things in my ear. So these are the only things that work for me. Um, the sound quality, again, is amazing 32 hour battery life, eight hours of playtime, and they're priced just right. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 48,000 five star reviews right now. 
See our podcast listeners can get 15% off the Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash conservative. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash conservative. Save 15% off Raycon, buyraycon.com slash conservative. So we have a British study that came out of pediatric hospitalizations from December 2020 to January 2022 in the largest children's hospital in England only 10% of the small number of children under 18 who are hospitalized with a COVID-positive test, just 10% of them actually had severe COVID. 56% were downright incidental. So it was literally 15 individuals, and most of them survived in the end. Eight of them had comorbidities. So even those small number of, of pediatric hospitalizations we have most of them, as we knew, were fraudulent. So when you talk about the cost-benefit analysis of what we've done to kids, even if the shots would have worked, which of course they don't, and what they do to them, that is Joseph Mengele territory. But that's not the only thing we've done to kids. The UK Ofsted, O-F-S-T-E-D, they have a report out in the UK government website. Many providers reported that there are still delays in babies and children's speech and language development. For example, some have noticed that children have limited vocabulary or lack the confidence to speak. Also, some babies have struggled to respond to basic facial expressions, which may be due to reduced contact and interaction with others during the pandemic. Children have missed out on hearing stories, singing, and having conversations. One provider commented that children appear to have spent more time on screens and have started to speak in accents and voices that resemble God help us the material they have watched a few providers felt that wearing face masks continue to have a negative impact on children's communication and language skills children turning two years old may god have mercy on us will have been surrounded by adults wearing masks for their whole lives and have therefore been unable to see lip movements for mouth shapes as regularly some providers have reported that delays in children's speech and language development have led to them not socializing with other children as readily as they would have expected previously you cannot put a price on that, that degree of civilization arson. That's like killing someone. It's from the same report. Today's report finds that pandemic has continued to affect young children's communication, language development, with many providers noticing delays in speech and language. Others said babies have struggled to respond to basic facial expressions, which may be due to reduced social interaction during pandemic, also the masking, obviously. The negative impact on children's personal, social, and emotional development has continued with many lacking confidence in group activities. Children's social and friendship building skills have been affected. Toddlers and preschoolers needed more support with sharing and turn-taking. Continues to be an impact on children's physical development, including delays in babies learning to crawl and walk. They've noticed a regression in their independence and self-care skills. You cannot put a price tag on that. That is the ultimate pro-life issue, Mike and every other scumbag Republican. You supported this. We talked about this from day one. It, didn't, it wasn't immutable. You could have shut schools for a week, two, three. It became clearer that month, certainly the month afterwards. All of this was a fraud as it relates to children. Before we even came on to the fact that you know, no one needed to die and we could have treated them, but children were never at risk. None of this ever worked, and we knew it didn't work, and we knew the dangers of the isolation and the masking. And by the way, there's another 
study people have been passing around that was put out an Elsevier uh, preprint server, but they, they kind of check it more. It's not peer-reviewed, but it's a, it's a higher standard. Um, and face, face masks release microplastics, which are directly inhaled during use or transported through the environment. They can translocate to multiple organs upon intake, potentially causing detrimental and cytotoxic effects. We Again, we did shows on this almost two years ago to the day. Really started, started with that in the summer of um, 2020. We all knew this was going to happen. It was obvious to anyone with a brain. And we did this to, to a cohort of people that weren't even at risk. Weren't even at risk for the virus. Think about that. Let's move on. What about this whole lockdown scheme? Africa. It's now out in all the mainstream publications even, MSN, NPR. The WHO estimates that only 1% of infections were detected in Africa. So in other words, based on their testing, what they the numbers they thought, now they discovered the infection rate was 100 times higher. By September, this is before Omicron, very key. Omicron spread like wildfire. Already 65% of the Africans had been infected using the same 100 to 1 ratio. This implies that as of now, 83% would have been infected. And there's and we all know they had very few deaths, an IFR of 0.02%. And again, a lot of that comes in like just a few countries like South Africa. But if you look at most of continental Africa, it would be even lower. Like if you take a country like Nigeria, I bet you the IFR is much lower than even 002 if you notice, if you notice Africa, what what does Africa have in common? Yes, it is a young population. Yes, they don't have obesity, and that's certainly true. But a lot of those continental countries, they didn't have lockdowns, at least not in the way we had them. They were too primitive, so to speak, to be enlightened into the social distancing. And most of those countries have very low rates of clot shots. Like Nigeria, I think it's 4%. And certainly no one got three shots. If you notice a pattern, I challenge you to do this. Go on world of meters, look at the epidemiological curves, assuming you could even trust the data. You will find, if you go through the world, you'll see that those with high amounts of prior infection, okay, whether they had lockdowns or not, because you know Latin American countries had lockdowns at high rates of infection because it didn't work. High prior infection before this ADE enhancement, before the shots, and they have low rates of, of the injections. There's a common denominator that they all have low Omicron deaths, death curves, and then since Omicron, they haven't had another bounce. All the countries that either had big lockdowns and or high rates of um, injection, it's usually they did both. For some reason, they're getting nailed by Omicron, and then they're getting nailed by the new ones even now. And they seem to never be able to achieve herd immunity. Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, some other Asian countries, now some of the Western European countries, Africa never seemed to have a problem with this. 
You look at countries like Bulgaria and Romania, some of the Eastern European countries that have low vaccination rates, they did have problems and did have a high, high infection rates, but now it looks like they have herd immunity. It's very, very interesting. All of this is a fraud. Oh, and one more study, a Danish preprint in the Lancet. It's published as a preprint based on the RCTs mRNA vaccines had no effect on overall mortality despite protecting against fatal COVID-19. <laughs> Read that again. What is it? <laughs> it protected, but it had no <laughs> all-cause mortality. Whatever that means, but they're admitting it in a roundabout way. Now, they try to say that adenovirus vector vaccines like AstraZeneca and J&J, mainly AstraZeneca, did decrease all-cause mortality so they're trying to play that up there. But the point is, they, even they admit the mRNAs did not decrease all-cause mortality. Obviously, they, they increased them. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I, I want to get to our guests to get back to the hospitals. So, folks, centralization, centralized power, it's something we were all warning about with Obamacare and really the decades preceding that. With the control of medicine, it all became about a government insurance cartel mixed in with Medicare Medicaid, which is, by the way, also administered by the same cartel. And then with Obamacare, we had the acceleration of the uh, uh, basically abolishing of private practice, and everything was systems, systems owning the hospitals together with the pharmacies and sometimes insurance companies. They're all one. They swing from both sides of the fence. Why is there so much centralized power? And then you have... Bill Gates funding the journals, funding the RCTs, funding the cancer research, funding every research. Where is this headed? It's not just making the cost prohibitive and clunky and the middleman. We talked about that, you know, the whole insurance stuff. But eventually we always knew it would get to the quality of care. It would get to the actual care itself. And we were happy, oh, at least we're not like Europe. No, we're worse or at least is bad. We have socialized medicine to the nth degree, and we always have. But with COVID, it's it's thrown in an element of cruelty, not just a lack of science and being stuck in a certain rut, you know, a certain track. Literally, how you can have an orthopedist not know about um, K two and an oncologist not know about any of these off label drugs that seem to have good. Um, you know, efficacy, even at late stage, they'd rather tell the person, well, to go to palliative care rather than even try safe, effective, known drugs. This is all going on, but there's a degree of viciousness, viciousness. And before we bring on our guest, I just forgot to mention, I meant, meant to mention this day, if you guys haven't seen this, the Epic Times has an article out, hospital refuses father-to-son kidney transplant because the father didn't get the shot. So the nine-year-old boy is being denied the kidney, even though the father is a perfect match. They're not asking to even be put on a list. It's all in the family. And um, this is the Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital, and they are refusing. I mean, this is Joseph Mengele territory. Is this isolated, or is this going on everywhere? So we had on Nicole Sorotek uh, a couple months ago. She's the founder of American Frontline Nurses. Go to... AmericanFrontlineNurses.com, such an important organization. It literally speaks to these problems. The people that are alone in the hospital, they don't know where to turn. They don't know science. They don't know medicine. They trusted their doctors. They trusted their hospital. I'm, I'm dealing with this now. My cousin with his mother, you know, with colon cancer in the hospital. 
literally wanted to do an, a DNR when even in the worst case scenario, you know, there's there's some things left to do, at least a couple months to fight, and plenty of people have survived. What are you doing? But this is what they do now. Nicole's been dealing with this, fielding calls from people that are in distress, family members. Um, so with us today is none other than Nicole Sorotek. And by the way, Nicole, aren't, aren't you running for the Nevada General Assembly as well? Yep, I'm running for Nevada State Assembly District 33, so that way I can make um, effective change in my own state, not just uh, across the country and the world like I've been doing. This is where it needs to be. You guys have a chance of literally swinging Nevada very much so from a Democrat trifecta to possibly the other way around. And this needs to be done at a state level. You know, the insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, that's a vexing issue at a federal level. But a lot of this other stuff is state. Um, So you certainly have a lot of um, examples of what needs to be fixed. Last time we talked about, obviously, you were one of the original whistleblowers in New York. You went there to volunteer with covid um, so we're all aware of you know the premature ventilation. We've talked about a lot. Obviously, the choice of drugs they use versus the ones that they ban and don't use. What are some of the things that you've been dealing with recently? Well, as the pandemic has changed and the narrative has changed, it's not so much COVID because they've you know the virus is starting to live symbiotically with its host. What we've seen is because we've allowed two years of deplorable hospital care and deplorable medical care, that that is the new standard across the United States. So what we're seeing is lack of care, negligent care, inappropriate care, and medical discrimination on levels we've never seen before in the United States. Wow. Okay, so that pretty much covers the gambit. So let's let's go through this one by one. Um, I noticed with my aunt, they were very... Uh, alacritous to use sedatives. Is that kind of a new shtick? You know, um, I've worked hospice before and I've worked plenty of terminal cases. I mean, pain management is always um, an important aspect of palliative and hospice care. But what's happening now is that they're pushing it entirely too early. I mean, they're literally trying to sedate and medicate you to the point that you're just not even an active participant in your life. So, yes, I've seen that. And the push to get you onto a DNR as soon as possible, it's like, oh, you you know, are stage four, you're metastatic. You know, the outcome statistically are not good. Let's get you to sign DNR. And I'm like, you know, they're not quite at a DNR level because once you sign a DNR, many providers and hospitals and things like that will look at it as an absence of care rather than a different type of care for hospice and palliative care. So once they get you to sign that DNR, it's just like, oh, we won't give you antibiotics. Oh, we won't give you steroids or anything else other than sedation, pain meds, and let you die. So I can definitely understand what's going on with your family member. What in the world? I mean, I didn't even tell you all the details, and you literally described it. So that tells me that this is quite ubiquitous. This is not – because, again, this is not, like, well-known, and everyone was resigned to it. It was the first time you got the CT scan back, and she was there because there was some eating issues. She's, you know, 67, young, no other issues, and suddenly it goes from that to, like, stage 5 plus. Like, whoa, whoa. It's more like a 4. It's like – you got to pray it's not good, but there's a lot of things to try. And mm-hmm. you're talking about DNRs. What is, so you're saying you're seeing this all over the place. Yep. It, your situation is not an isolated situation. It is going on across the United States. 
and people are just trusting their providers and going along with it, not understanding their not their rights, not understanding their options. That you know, you still have good quality of life, and there are many things that can be done to sustain that quality of life before just cutting it short. It, it, it's funny, um, you know. Speaking of my aunt, she has a, a friend who came in to see her, and she's a um, an infectious disease doctor, but but one of the rare ones that was prescribing for COVID. And she was like, I, "I'm going to get you out of there," and and they're you know getting her out. Um, so it, it falls very much along those lines. You could tell which doctors actually um, are with the pharma algorithms and which ones use their brain and understanding of biochemistry. Um, okay, so so there's, again, this, this rush to get people to end-of-life care, which we saw with COVID, but it's, it's really reverberating elsewhere. Um, what other things have you been getting calls about? Um, a lot of the times we're dealing with medical discrimination. Um, I'll give you some of the extreme examples we've dealt with, and um, they're numerous, even though I'm going to only state the example once. We get the call five, six times a week. So you spoke about the father that wanted to give his kidney to his son, and he was not allowed to because he wasn't vaccinated. We had such a situation where a gentleman his heart was damaged from the two Pfizer vaccines and he needed a heart transplant and they would not put him on the transplant list until he got a booster. And I'm like, the booster will literally kill him. He has like next to nothing for cardiac function. This is why we need to put him on the transplant list. And so currently um, American frontline nurses is a 501 C three nonprofit. And we use our donations to help like fund these lawsuits and get, um, get people the care that they need and fight back this medical tyranny and this medical discrimination. But honestly, that's like, we get five of those a week. And not just in the same state, we're talking across the country. Another huge issue we're dealing with is those who are in suicide crisis. We get 20 to 30 of these calls a week, um, anywhere from teenagers, you know, 9, 10, up to um you know, 40, 50, 60 year olds that are in mental health crisis because of everything that's gone on. You know, people have lost their home. They've been isolated. They, you know, they can't function in society anymore because of all the restrictions and they're in mental health crisis and they want to, they want to take their life. They want to commit suicide and we try and get them into a mental health facility so that way they can get the services that they need and they are being turned away because they are not vaccinated. Or we have people who are suffering from drug or alcohol addictions that have been exacerbated or they've lapsed in their sobriety because of everything that's gone on in the past two years. And we try to get them the services that they need and they are being denied because they're not vaccinated. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that the greatest risk to these people is the drug and alcohol overdose or the eminent threat suicide, not covid you are not helping these people if they die because they don't have the vaccine. Get them what they need. I mean, we've flown one girl who, um, it, it's a multi-rape case, uh, what you would call a gang rape. She was a teenager. We had to fly her three states away from her family to a mental health facility so she can get the services she needs because she was in suicide crisis because they, the family did not want them, did not want her to get the vaccine because they had three of their own family members die from it. And we had to fly her three states away from her family. So now she's away from her support system in a foreign, like in a foreign state in, in a, in a, in a psychiatric facility, ultimately 
without her support system. Also, she didn't have to get the vaccine because the family didn't want to exacerbate her situation that she was already in. Um, another such extreme situation is um, a Canadian family got a hold of me. And uh, one of the family members had gotten the vaccine in order to be able to take a vacation to Mexico through a bunch of blood clots. And we had to fly, once they stabilized him on the ventilator and everything like that, we had to fly him back into Canada. But they would not allow the flight team to land because the flight team and the pilot were not vaccinated. And so now we're in this situation where the plane is like literally flying in circles, not being told not to land. And I'm over here, like, arguing with what would be the equivalency of their Department of Health in the area. They need to land. This is a Canadian citizen that's vaccinated. We'll negotiate. We won't let the flight team and pilot out of the plane. But please, we're trying to get your, your citizen back. Um, and so ultimately, they had to land back in the United States, refuel, and, and then take ground transport into Canada in an ambulance. I mean, the most vile waste of healthcare dollars over all of this ridiculous medical discrimination and bureaucracy. So, and and this is for a shot that the FDA advisory committee just admitted is not well suited for the current virus that's circulating. And that's an understatement. Obviously, we know all the negative efficacy from all the UK data, which they stopped publishing this week because it was too devastating. Um, wow. I mean... That that's a lot to handle. I want to go back to your first case with the organ transplant, the heart transplant. So you you said that they were dam that this individual was damaged by the shot. Could you describe that a little bit more? He had no prior heart condition. Nope. He was a healthy forty to fifty year old man that lived an ordinary life, uh, active with his like children and things like that. Had a stable job, nor just a normal, normal all American person. And you know, he wanted to protect grandma. He wanted to be do the right thing, help stop the spread. You know, the propaganda that they pushed, and he he trusted the system, and the system betrayed him. And so he got two shots and he had some symptoms the first time. And it was really the second one that did him in because he ended up with the myocarditis. He has like what's called an injection fraction of some of a person who's literally in heart failure because the cardiac muscle is not designed to grow like a regular skeletal muscle. Like you can grow your biceps and, and, and then they can go back to their normal size if you start working them out. That doesn't, that's not the same with the heart. Once your heart enlarges and it starts to shrink or whatever as a muscle, it becomes sloppy and floppy is what we like to say. And you have poor cardiac outcome with that. So he's got pericarditis. He's got myocarditis. Um, he's having some the microclot issues uh, that keep going to his lungs. But that's ultimately what's damaged his heart. And now he can't. I mean, he's ultimately in congestive, like in like heart failure. And he has poor quality of life. He's on oxygen. He's on all of these cardiac meds to try and optimize his cardiac function. And he just wants to be put on the transplant list. And he can't be because he's not boosted. And he has the shots. But he, I mean, so he's, not he's damaged. It reminds me of, I've heard from military doctors of pilots that got myocarditis from the first shot. And they were denied a medical exemption from uh, out of getting the second one. I mean, Again, it's a degree of demonic, just just maloke. It, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of um, 
Ahab in, in the book of Kings when Elijah said, have you killed and have you inherited? So they cause the problem and then benefit. So now we're going to have a cascading effect of cardio, hematological, neurological disorders from the shots. And then they're like, hey, you didn't get another shot. So we're going to deny you the care. Um, Wow. So is this, is it certain states or is it most parts of the country? Um, we're seeing it everywhere. The worst thing, the democratically ran states, California, New York. But honestly, we've had cases in Texas. Yep. We've had cases in Florida. I mean, so... You've like, had cases honestly, in Florida of being yeah. denied care. We had a we had a person in Florida who was in a like a NBA um, uh, motor vehicle accident. He had uh, fractures to his lower back, and he went into the ER to get care. And because he would not allow a swab, they denied him care. So they just discharged him from the ER, and he went to two other hospitals. Um, until they would give him care because technically he would test positive because he had just had COVID a couple weeks ago. So it takes, sometimes it takes time for that. Plus the PCR tests are completely faulty to begin with and that's his own racket. Um, but I mean, here you are with this guy with unstable uh, spinal fractures that can't get care. And so even though DeSantis is pushing all of this um, legislation out, trying to help his state, the hospitals are allowed to proceed over whatever they want and it's just ridiculous we finally got the whole no patient left alone act going yes yes but but it, it's see what you're saying is very important i've been yelping about that i'm sick of my colleagues saying there's an off-ramp from covid and it's just a problem of the next biomedical fascism that is a problem but we don't even have the off-ramp it's not over and, and even in the red states, like you're saying, it's from the governmental level. But what was imbued in the medical system is, I mean, you know, whatever university system in, in a red state, they're going to be just as satanic as the ones in the blue states for the most part, um, unless there's a specific legislation that focuses on a point. But most of them don't seem to have an anti-discrimination provision on care. Some of them have, you know, some sort of provision with employees um, wow. I mean, that is, that is very, very disturbing, Nicole. Uh, I, I mean, this is, this is shocking because what you're describing is a scenario that's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's substantially worse. Like the case I said about the MVA, that was just a, for a PCR test. And I mean, that had, that wasn't even a COVID case. That wasn't a vaccine case. And, and we get this all the time. We've dealt with medical kidnapping cases because the family wanted to go to a more holistic doctor and try and see what was up with their child's digestive system. And they missed an appointment. And oh, wait, can, can you elaborate? Can you elaborate? Because I was concerned with my own family situation here. Uh, I think we are going to get her out. But what does that mean, medical kidnapping? It means that they will, if you do not follow whatever protocol systems or anything like that, they will like literally not allow you to leave the hospital. Or if you have a child, they'll weaponize CPS and the police against you to force you to do things like that. Like, let's say you have a child with a terminal cancer diagnosis and they say this diagnosis gets this type of treatment. And you're like, no, we don't want that treatment. We want to try something different that isn't another pharmaceutical drug, then they get CPS on you and they will try and tell you that you're an unfit parent. But the child is terminal no matter what. 
And studies have shown that if you try these drugs, all you end up doing is not prolonging, prolonging life. You just end up decreasing quality of life for the yes. remainder of the time that they do have. So switch focus onto something that might be a nutritive protocol or anything else like that, and then they will weaponize CPS against you. And then they will take the child and, and do the protocol anyway. Um, wow. Wow. And, 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 and in your, I mean, obviously you were practicing, you know, the, the, the decade before, um, as a nurse, you've done the critical care transports. So you've been in dicey situations. You're saying this wasn't really going on five to 10 years ago. No, no, never have I ever seen anything like this with a transplant list. Typically they would, they would require, um, vaccines, but you could typically get religious or medical exemptions for them. They won't accept them now. Um, for medical kidnapping, you had a right to get a secondary consult and seek other treatment. Now, nope, not at all. We're just, we're going to weaponize CPS or even adult protective services against you. It, I'm like, what is going on? I, I spoke with a father whose child, and this is an actual COVID case. I think it was a 13-year-old boy they would not give the boy food and water in the hospital because he had COVID. And dad's like, well, he's, he's asking for water and food. Can we get, get him something? There's nothing wrong with him swallowing. And they're like, no, just in case we have to intubate him. Mind you, the kid is on one liter of oxygen. He just needed some supplemental oxygen. What killed him is four days without water. Oh, okay. And man. the father's like, I trusted them. Because, you know, I'm like, yes, under normal circumstances, we want to intubate early rather than deal with the crashed airway. But that's not how we do COVID. The child would have lived if they had given him food and water. His last, one of the last things the boy said before he died, he died is that he was hungry. Jeez. And the father is just, you know, the families have post-traumatic stress disorder from dealing with hospital systems. And... I mean, come on, this child would have lived. How many people are we going to send to the concentration camps before we unite and say we are done and we want, like, actual health care, not sick care, not death care, health care? Um, see, one of, one of the issues I'm finding is that, again, with COVID, I think we were able with most people, I mean, if they got to us early enough to keep them out, but there's so many other chronic or sudden ailments, injuries, and and the problem I'm finding is there's the hardware, kind of like the hardware of a hospital that you need so you can't avoid, but then you can't supplement. So I was, again, with, with this case study, I was thinking, you know, um, Dr. Urso sent me a whole protocol for co colon cancer metastasized colon cancer that he said worked with his own mother who had a metastatic uh, colorectal cancer. And um, it, it was, it's fascinating, you know, what he had on, he had metformin on there and, and naltrexone and, you know, several other things uh, and antifungal. And there was, um, Oh, uh, you know, fibrate. He had a lot, a lot of overlap with COVID, but obviously one of the big ones, which is just to give me a no brainer, is megadose vitamin D. But as long as you need them for hard, the hardware because you're having issues, a bowel obstruction, or this or that, so then you, you, you can't even get some of the basic things that are no-brainers that could help boost your body against that ailment. And that that's, that's the question. How do we get around that? Because, you know, you'd say, well, if they're death camps, just avoid them. But, I mean, I think there's the technology part that seems to be working. It's the care, the protocols 
the diagnoses. You know, it, it, isn't it that kind of dichotomy that on the one hand, the biotech has seemed to get better, the diagnostics, the surgery techniques, but it's the care that's gone backwards. Yes. Here in the United States, it's really interesting because they actually teach us this in all of our university courses for healthcare. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a nurse, a radiologist, it doesn't matter. They always teach us in our policy analysis courses that the United States spends 10% of its gross domestic product, its GDP, on new technology for healthcare. Like, so that we spend 10% of our GDP on healthcare, and it is all, once you break that 10% of GDP down, it's almost all in new tech, new pharmacy, new, 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 new. Yep. But when you go to, let's say, a country with a universal healthcare system, and trust me, they have their own problems yes. that are not any better than the United States. I don't think universal healthcare system is a better system. It's just as it's dangerous. It's socialism versus venture socialism. That's what I call it. Yes, yes. Um, they are repurposing all types of drugs in order to yes. um, to maximize them for the different diagnoses. Like in South America, we have little old ladies on Viagra for pulmonary hypertension. Huh. The, the naltrexone that you keep talking about, they've been using that for two decades down in South America for all sorts of different things. And it's like everyone's just now starting to dawn on this. I mean, if you go into South Africa or Sri Lanka or Nigeria, they use ivermectin for herpes, cold sores, genital herpes. It doesn't matter. Mm. That, they use and that's an antifungal because it, they always knew it had antiviral properties. Yeah. Uh, so all these other countries who we think are below the United States are excelling in their health care. And I mean, they, you're more likely, let's say in India or even Mexico City, to end up with uh, an issue from like contaminated water sources rather than um, not being able to be treated for uh, a very simple, honestly, diagnosis. I mean, it's unreal. There are designer hospital systems popping up all in Mexico right now where you can get the care that you want for a fraction of the cost. And it's American do uh, doctors and, and an American quality facilities. I mean, these facilities are beautiful with like, like the best tech at fractions of the cost that the Americans can get with insurance. Like, so examples are if you needed gastric bypass or gastric sleeve, it's 4000 versus the 30000 in the United States. If you needed some type of cosmetic surgery, it's a fraction of the, core, of the cost. And I'm like literally saying that they're like Harvard plastic surgeons. If you needed cancer treatment, I'm talking Mayo Clinic docs have opened up their own facility down in Mexico, and you can get the stem cell treatment. You can get the IgG treatments. Everything that they will not allow in the United States or you waste so much time with the medical bureaucracy and industrial complex, that you end up dying before you get the treatment. So the fact that the United States is lagging behind in this methodology of repurposing drugs and trying to find, as you were talking about, just funding a randomized clinical control trial on repurposing these drugs is just, it's embarrassing for, I mean, we're, we're the United States of America. This is what I keep telling people. We are the United States of America. We should be able to do this. We should be leading the world with our healthcare system. It seems like that it, it's a very illusory 
efficacy of the system. So on, on one hand, the, you have these shiny objects, the, the, the biotech that legitimately we've advanced in certain things. So people think, oh, look, they got this. They know what they're doing. But then there's things that are just barbaric, much less primitive and just insane. And that's where I think you have this mix. And because we have so much money, we have so much rope to hang ourselves with. Whereas in these other countries, they don't, they can't afford it. So you don't have this big game. There's no game in it. It's just like if you want to practice medicine, you want to save lives, here's what you do. Your back's against the wall. You had the peep doctors like Jackie Stone in, in Zimbabwe. You know, and she's getting punished for that now. Um, and, and, and Flavio in Brazil. Uh, here, it's like it's a system. So they're just stuck in it. And it, 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 it's the crazy. And I'm, look, I'm disclosing this publicly. I don't think he minds. I, I te you know, texted Dr. Urso in a panic. And I thought we'd have this whole conversation. We did eventually. But he's like, in, in three seconds, he texted me back. Protocol for colon cancer that worked for my mom. You know, fenbendazolone, uh, you know, 350 to 500 migs five times a week, doxycycline, metformin, vitamin D, phenofibrate, CBD oil, and low-dose naltrexone. And I was like, what the hell is that? You know, because in my mind, it's like everything is categorized and decompartmentalized. Oh, cancer. What's the first thing you think of? Chemo, Death. right? So Chemo. I was like, what in the world does that have to do with the price of tea with China? But then I just go on Google, not some right-wing blog or something, and it's like, oh, so this has been around for decades in vitro, in vivo, animal studies, certain degree of human trials. And I'm like, oh, so why haven't we taken this to the next level? How come no one knows about this? Because all those drugs that you listed off are incredibly cheap, and the pharmaceutical companies do not profitize off them. Metformin. 20 bucks a month for the standard metformin dosage, phenofibrate, very, very cheap. This is why they keep sinking money into cancer, yet never actually cure cancer, because the treatments are barbaric. The chemotherapy is barbaric. Yep. And if you can create a new drug that only has a slight better efficacy than the old drug, <laughs> you can now patent it and make more money. It's like a racket. Like, honestly, the only thing I can think of is like, you know, FDR's like, you know how he had the New Deal and he would he was just putting money into all these social work programs to try and stimulate the country. I'm like, are you guys just is this the new New Deal where you guys just keep cranking yeah. money into pharmaceutical companies and that's what just keeps the world going around because they keep us sick and we keep yep. spending and you keep you sick and they keep spending? Absolutely everything that you said um, in those pharmaceuticals that Dr. Urso had uh, recommended would be less than $200 a month. The average chemo dosing would be a couple thousand per dose. Yep. yep. No, there's, there's that. And, you know, there are more expensive things like hyperbaric oxygen chambers. I mean, the treatment is cheap. It's just the, the hardware is expensive. But that's, that's kind of – so that's the issue I want to bring up with you. How do we break the cartel? The problem is – because government prints all the money and then, you know, obviously Medicare, Medicaid, and then the original sin of healthcare, which is the employer-based tax exclusion. So that tethered healthcare to medical insurance and then tethered medical insurance to your place of work. Um, so that shoved – and that's something like – I'm forgetting – like $400 billion a year that's worth that tax exclusion um, – and certainly more with Obamacare that they're shelling out like 30000 per person instead of fifteen. So that's where all the money is. So how do all of us kind of patriot doctors and nurses get together 
And we have good treatment ideas, we have good care ideas, but it's the hardware that's so freaking expensive. So what I'm actually seeing that's going on across the country is we start is we're we're not going to fix the old model of healthcare. It's mm. broken. There's just don't try and fix it. Don't try and band-aid it. We're abandoning it. We're walking away from it. And all of these patriotic doctors, nurses, freedom-minded uh, medical personnel are now starting. And we saw this during the COVID pandemic. It started with telehealth services. Now Dr. Gold is bringing up clinics. And people are starting to talk about freedom hospitals. We're moving away from the HMO, PPO, racket, pharmaceutical rent, healthcare system. And we're going to more or less a cash-based system that is focused predominantly on primary care and early intervention. We're not even talking COVID. We're talking early intervention with repurposed drugs. So what I see happening is... You know, we start off with concierge medicine. I think we're moving towards freedom-minded hospitals because you vote with your dollars. It doesn't matter if it's literally the dollars in your wallet or your healthcare dollars. As we, as the only way that we're going to make change is to hit them where it hurts, and that's in their pocketbook. So if we take our healthcare dollars, our consumerism away from these medical industrial complexes, and we start going towards the patriotic doctors and nurses and clinics and concierge medicine and telehealth like that, we are going to develop freedom-minded hospitals. And that will be the new system where the consumer is put at the forefront because let's face it, this is consumerism. Would you continue to, to frequent a restaurant that gave poor customer service and a poor product? No, you would go to a place that had good customer service and a good product. And your health is the number one thing um, that you need to take care of. And so everyone will navigate away from the old medical and into what I think will be a more patriotic, true consumerism healthcare system. This is the ultimate pro-life issue. I mean, like I tell everyone, if you're not talking about this, look, before I brought you on, I started off ripping Mike Pence, he had this op-ed on, on you know, pro-life agenda, and it was all about defunding Planned Parenthood, kind of the same mold. I'm like, dude, you sicked upon us this entire thing with Fauci and that committee that you had. That is the most anti-life thing around. And this is the, this is the new pro-life. I mean, this is the issue. Um, it's the equivalent of forcibly demanding people get abortions. <laughs> That's what it is. They're they're aborting adults. They're they're just killing our people. And I'm sick of these Republicans. You know, I won't mention names here, but you know, I've had some of the doctors I've spoken to. They've met with some of the more conservative elected Republicans, and you know, they're like, I, I don't like mandates. Okay, fine, but dude. The system is much worse than the just the mandates, even if you didn't have that because of those mandates and because of the other interventions and market distortions and subsidies and regs and all that stuff. We've created a barbaric system that it's like, you know, let's say, I, I you know, we distribute poison. Well, it's not a mandate. Whoa. But as, as a governor, as a senator, you're going to go along with that. You know, now that we know everything we know about the shots. It's not mandated. Well, first of all, as we see, it is in a lot of settings. But even without that, it's like, since when was that not a public policy issue that we have billions of dollars of every lever of government pretty much, you know what I mean? If, if it's not a mandate, it's, 
your informed consent is gone. I mean, any normal person is going to see that. Wow, I better get this. And they're okay with it. So I want to end on the political side. You're venturing into politics. You're running for state assembly in Nevada. Um, Can you tell us more about that and where people could find out about that? Yeah, so I'm running for Nevada State Assembly District 33 as a Republican, and I've been working with the GOP in the state of Nevada, and they're absolutely amazing. And it's it's just really interesting because when I say I wanted to do this, and they're like, oh, well, what what are you going to get out of this? And I'm, I'm, well, nothing. This is just more on my plate that I don't really have time for, but people are suffering, and we need to we need to do something about that. And so I'm a little behind on the game because I was helping out with Lebanon and the Ukraine crisis and things like that. So I will have my website up and running, but you can follow me on my social media. Um, but my website will be NicoleSerotech, um, uh, com when I can get it up and running. Uh, we've just had so many crazy cases. But, yeah, it's just really interesting to see that all the people are supporting me running. And they're like, you know what, Nicole will get the job done. And I'm like, yeah, I I have nothing to gain from running in politics other than a whole bunch more work on me that yep. I don't benefit from. But that's how people get involved is that, you know, as American frontline nurses, we work on the front line, saving lives in real time, but nothing is going to change without effective policy change. Yes. Yes. If and you're in so the that- legislature, I mean, mm-hmm. states could direct funding towards, like we said, research of existing yeah. drugs that need that would take the game out of it. You get the Nevada uh, Department of Health to use that funding. All right, let's comb every single thing that has kind of the lower level evidence efficacy for certain cancers, for example. Let's do RCTs on it. Let's do it right now. That's what we're doing. No new phantom drug that we give Pfizer and Merck, you know, uh, $10 billion and here, go go play in your sandbox to create another chemo drug that won't work anyway. You know, we know how this game is played. I wasn't aware of it before two years ago, but now we are. Um, and, and obviously, we need to develop a, a patient's bill of rights. I mean, that is that is paramount. Is this something you guys are working on? You know, technically, every state has patient bill of rights, but there's just been in the past two years a blatant disregard for them because of, quote unquote, a novel virus. Oh, boy. And yeah. And here's the issue is that they know that the average person cannot afford a five to ten thousand dollar lawsuit to fight them. They know because, I mean, they're crippling the middle class financially. I mean, I know I couldn't. I mean, if we didn't get donations as our 501c3 nonprofit at American Frontline Nurses, we would not be able to fund the lawsuits that mm. we do. So that that's how they get you. They, you know, I've been an avid World War II buff, and I always studied, like, Stalin and how he did everything. He kept the middle class so scrambling just to put, you know, sh- food, water, yep. shelter, that nobody had time to fight back. And so that's how they get you is that you can't fight back to enforce those bill of rights, those patient bill of rights. So they're there. They're Mm. just disregarded. They're just lip service at this point. So what needs to be done to get back at them is to make them criminal, not just civil charges. So that way, um, you know, a state prosecutor could bring up charges with medical kidnapping, with denial of food, um, Mm -hmm. denial of the right to use your own um, FDA approved medications and supplements. I mean, things like that. 
um, and obviously the right to to have a patient advocate with you. Uh, I, I mean, I really cannot recommend people donate more to this group than anything I've ever heard of. It is so needed. AmericanFrontlineNurses.com. You can find out more there, and we will definitely watch your campaign because state legislators is very important. I mean, the federal government's gone. We're never going to fix that. We need states to kind of do what Florida is doing, but do it even more. And and uh, you're in a great position for that. Thanks for what you do. And uh, we're definitely going to have you back. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for the support. We really appreciate it. Take care. God bless. So, folks, now you know why. I mean, I almost feel like crying here. But now you know why I am so down on this abortion-centric focus in terms of being pro-life. After hearing that, if you're not dealing with this, and certainly in the case of people like Mike Pence and many other establishment Republicans, downright a party, an accomplice to this genocide, and then you dangle in front of me kind of the traditional rhetoric that you've been spewing for 50 years on abortion, I just, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. This is the single most important issue in America right now. You can't, you can't get beyond this. There is nothing more important than, and believe me, with you know the socialism and inflation and the border and the crime and um, you know the the, the gender bending uh, cultural Marxism. I mean, th- there's there's tons of other problems here, but this this is it. I do want to end off kind of connected to her run for state legislature on a positive note. I am very surprised Tennessee is signing a bill making ivermectin over the counter. Passed the House, passed the Senate. It's going to be signed. So the session started off very bad, but you know, you see that when you start off with an issue, it looks like, oh, they're never going to do it. But when you build the pressure, you'd be surprised if we remain focused on the right issues and not the stupid Hannity-like Fox News soap opera, you'd be surprised what we could accomplish. Alabama has one of the worst GOP legislatures. They just passed 23 to 5. A bill that has everything with the tranny stuff, you know, anti-grooming in the schools, um, it has the sports provision. It has the bathroom provision. Might be one other thing I'm, I'm leaving out there. Um, I believe it's HB 322. That looks like it's going to go the distance. Now, some of that's because the governor, who's a jerk, does have a primary challenge, and, and there's no question that that's playing a role there. But you see, when you have catalyzing events, things going on with the, the sports and everything, people finally focused on that. We could actually do something. They're like, oh, we're never going to be able to pass that. No, do it. Let's go. Um, so I'm going to try to come up with a list of ideas on health care that we need, but definitely I think criminal charges on a, on a patient bill of rights sort of thing. I think um, obviously the funding for off-label studies, it takes the game out of it. That's how you get like – picture someone like Dr. Sabine Hazen. We had her on. She's a nerd obsessed with microbiome. She has a lot of good research on that, but she doesn't have money. This is how you level the playing field. All the money is going towards phantom cures of new drugs, and it's a loaded thing. You're not going to cure heart disease and cure cancer and cure Alzheimer's in the traditional way you think of it and with something novel and cool. But if you take the existing understanding of anti-inflammatories and immune boosting and off-label drugs mixed with lifestyle and diet and vitamins and supplements, you could get a heck of pretty close to a cure for a lot of people. And, and that's a heck of a lot better than where we are now 
um, and certainly better than what they're going to give us. That's where we need to head. This, my friends, is what it means to be pro-life. Hope you guys have a terrific weekend. Email me, danielhurwitz at startmail.com if you have any comments, questions, concerns for Nicole and American Frontline Nurses. Till next time, God bless y'all. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for listening.